can we turn for the uh, uh, final time for a, for a while to the book of, of Exodus and Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. This is the word of God. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, first offspring of every womb amongst the Israelites, belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. Seven days, eat bread made without yeast. And on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you. Nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. <clears throat> For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. If you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn amongst your sons. In the days when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand. The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. That is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. But God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert towards the Red Sea. Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, 
God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead with them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. By night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Amen. William Cooper uh, was one of the foremost poets in this land. He was highly thought of by uh, Coleridge. Uh, Coleridge wrote The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Um, and Wordsworth, Wordsworth and his daffodils. Uh, both of them thought extremely highly of William Cooper. But William didn't have an easy life. You remember that he was uh, the friend of uh, John Newton and uh, stayed in the same village and attended that church in Olney for quite some time. The reason that he'd ended up in Olney was that he'd had a traumatic life. We would... uh, Interpreted today that that he had significant uh, mental health issues. Uh, Throughout his life, he was uh, stalked by depression and anxiety to the extent that that before his conversion, he was uh, committed uh, to an asylum. Uh, He was a trained lawyer and a superb poet. Even after his conversion, um, his anxiety and depression didn't leave him. But in those circumstances, he left us uh, some of the greatest hymns that we ordinarily would be able to sing. And one of those hymns, written by William Cooper, Uh, is 105 in our hymn book. And it's this. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds, of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Credible when you know a little of Cooper's life, um, how much those words uh, resonate more and maybe speak to us particularly 
at this time in which we find ourselves. So, we have come to the end of this uh, short series in Exodus, uh, taking um, various passages and, and hopefully using those passages as a, as a lens to uh, shed some of God's word upon the circumstances that we've all been in, that we've collectively experienced in the past year now. Um, hopefully also it's we've been able to uh, take some of that and apply it to our own lives uh, throughout our Christian walk, regardless of the, the global events of the past year. And now as we look forward, probably with less certainty than we did in, shall we say, February of last year even, what does God's word say to us in relation to how we should respond and how we should live our Christian lives? Those of us of, of a certain age uh, will remember that uh, in the 80s uh, there was a great engineering project in London. And that engineering project was to uh, stop, to prevent the capital from flooding. There had been various floods in the, in the 50s uh, and the early 60s. And they built uh, what is now known as the Thames River Barrier. And the whole purpose of, of that uh, incredible um, engineering uh, project uh, was to stop the capital from being flooded again to prevent, to have that barrier in place, to put in with anticipation to that day when it would be needed. And that's why I hope we can do looking at this passage that we can begin to metaphorically build that flood barrier in our hearts and in our minds that provides us with, with a robust understanding and trust of God's providence. Because the flood waters will rise. Because we will have Trials. We have had trials. We will have trials in the future. And God outlines his care for his people. Sometimes, as Cooper said in his hymn, in a very strange, in a very mysterious, in a way that's past our finite understanding. But nonetheless, God's providence protects us and keeps us. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to, uh, and we'll be looking really at that uh, latter part of the chapter from, from verse 17 onwards. And the first thing I want us to see is that the path of God preserves us. The path of God preserves us. At long last, as we've sketched, really, we've done little more than that uh, over the last occasions that we've been in this book. But as, as, we've, as we've sketched the story, and, and hopefully uh, in your own reading, and your own thinking, you've been filling in the gaps uh, that we've missed in the narrative getting to, to this point. But finally, the people of Israel, the people of God, have left Egypt. Egypt and Pharaoh has done everything 
within their power to prevent them. They uh, have, as a result of that, suffered plagues, climaxing in the death of the firstborn. The judgment of God upon the Egyptians has been severe. Until Pharaoh, who you remember this morning, was adamant that he was not going to let that people go. But in chapter 12, he says, let them go. Get them out of my sight. Be gone. Get out of the land. So Israel is expelled and they are pushed out of the country. And then we read this phrase in verse 17. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. It's amazing when you look on a map how close Egypt and even the modern day state of Israel are. It's really, uh, certainly with modern technology, it's, it's a short run through the desert. Even, even in those days, it would have taken two or three days. The Egyptians and the surrounding countries were a seafaring nation. So obviously you had, you had the great port of Alexandra, and then going up uh, the curve of that eastern Mediterranean, there would have been ports dotted along that sea line for trade. The route of communication, uh, the route of travel, uh, would have been, even in those days, well established along that route. That's the shortest route to the land that God had promised his people. But God does something counterintuitive, almost to our wisdom, backwards. He does not lead them by the way of the Philistines. doesn't lead them by the way of the sea but rather takes them into Sinai. It's a bit like going to Cardiff via Betasakoid. That's, that's how, from a geographical point of view, preposterous the route is. The land of the Philistines is relatively near, but God sends them southeast. God sends them into the desert. Quite a detour. Not the quickest of routes. Not the most familiar of routes. Why does God do that? Well, in terms of of the initial context, we don't have to guess. It's one of those occasions where where God tells us in his word why he has done something. The latter part of of verse 17. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God knows the landscape before them and also knows them as a people far better than they do. He knows the frailty of their faith. That position would have been strategically important. As we said, there would have been trade routes, there would have been ports and roads. It was important to Egypt from an economic perspective. So there would have been fortresses or Camps. There would have been guarded borders. There would have been the army of Egypt stationed along that, that area. And likewise with the Philistines. Uh, that would have been fortified. 
So in God's wisdom, he sends them southeast. Now you may say, well, but in verse 18, in the last part of verse 18, we're told the Israelites went out of Egypt armed for battle. Uh, now, I haven't got any Hebrew, so I rely upon the wisdom of those who are far better uh, educated than, than I. But it appears uh, from, from what you can study and from the, the commentators that, that, a, that a, a better translation uh, would be that they, that they left Egypt in formation. That's what's meant for in terms of armed for battle. They, they left Egypt together. In formation, they were they were slaves. We saw something this morning of the way in which they they were treated. There's no army. There's no army leaving the country. So, so I understand uh, from the commentators that's really what what verse eighteen is getting at. So the Lord knows that if they faced war, if they faced severe opposition at this point. It's one thing to have the army of Egypt in pursuit. It's another thing facing them head on. He knew that because of the state of their souls and their weakness and the fearfulness and the fragility of their faith that we've already seen throughout this study, that they might very well turn back. And that's why, at this point, God leads them in a counterintuitive way, a way in which no strategic leader would understand, that leads them into the desert. To apply that to ourselves is surely that the Lord knows our hearts. He knows what lies ahead for each and every one of us. He knows the challenges that we face in his providence, in the wisdom of, of his providence. All of these things have been settled. And he also knows our frailty. He also knows how our own individual personalities that he has given us and how we might face the challenges in the future. His people in this context had to learn more about his character had to learn more, and that's why I jumped last week to looking at the covenant, had to learn about the covenant between the people and their God. Had to deal with them and mold them into his people. And that's precisely the same with us. It does so in a way that is full of grace and loving kindness. The Bible is clear about that. But nonetheless, we still learn. In the same way that we read in that hymn, sometimes in suffering, sometimes in trial, but our God is a loving and a gracious God. Do we believe that? There are times, aren't there, that we've all experienced, and just as Israel were tempted here, but in the words of, of that hymn, judge the Lord not by feeble sense. Trust in the wisdom of our Lord and our God. He has done this and shown this time and time again 
in the past as recorded in his word, in the past as recorded by the history of his church, and all of us, all of us gathered here together this evening, who know that we have been snatched from death and hell by the sufferings as we saw this morning of our Saviour, of our Lord and our God. We know that his love for us is incomparable. So we don't judge the Lord by feeble sense. We don't panic and think, what in the world was God thinking? This is a disaster. But we trust because God knows the frailty of our faith. We also know from his word that God performs all things for our good. God performs all things for our good. This passage teaches us, doesn't it, that even when the path of of God in our lives uh, leads us in ways that to us seem very strange, very difficult, sore terrain to get over. And yet in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. The Hebrews, remember here, they knew exactly where the promised land was. They knew the the quickest route. And yet, they're being taken in a different direction. They also knew, they also knew that the promised land, the promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, they knew that that promised land was their permanent home for them and their descendants. They knew the path that they were on, both geographically and in terms of their history. And they needed to trust. They needed to rely on God. Even though everything within their human sense was telling them that they were going in the wrong direction. God performs all things for our good. If we were the captain of our own souls, we would make shipwreck. Thanks be to God that he is in charge of our lives, that he is in control. That our lives, our times, are in his hands. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Cooper knew that. In the direst tragic circumstances throughout his life. The question is, do we? Do we, despite what we may see and feel and experience, do we have that bedrock of God's truth underneath us? Knowing that we can't rely upon The things of this world, we cannot rely even upon ourselves, but we can rely upon our God who has done all things for us, who loves us so much, provided his own son as a saviour, who took our sins, who died and raised again seated even now in heaven.
What are you going to trust? Trust yourself? Or are you going to trust the plan of God? But also, the promises of God assure us. The promises of God assure us. I've been struck, I said this last time, um, Sometimes, you know, you know, you, you, you read, uh, I'm sure you're the same, you know, you, you read these, these books every single year for whatever, whatever it is now, 25 years plus. And, and then God brings you to a place where, where you, you, you see different things. Um, contained within a certain book. And the one thing that's in, in my reading of Exodus this year, and, and, and particularly preparing these sermons in Exodus, the, these, these verses that are kind of thrown in and, and, are, and are a bit kind of quirky, we saw one, didn't we, last time, uh, in terms of, of Moses' uh, obedience. And we we have, I think, a, 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 another one here. So you know, we're we're in the we're in the heat of the drama. Uh, God has um, has has made that uh, plan uh, with regard to the consecration of the firstborn in the first part of the chapter, uh, and 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 now we're off, and now we're we're about to leave Egypt, and God is leading. And then in verse 19, we read this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. What's going on? What's going on at that point? Put yourselves in, in, in that position. You're, you're in this, this mass of, of, of people. You're, you're about to, to leave the country of slavery. And Moses says, well, well we've, we've got to take these bones with us. We've got to carry these bones. And, and we're, we're not going by the direct route. We're going into the, into the desert and we're going to carry these bones all the way. What's, what's that about? Was it some kind of, I don't know, lucky charm, some kind of uh, thing that would that would give them uh, an advantage? Oh, you can you can go to uh, well, you can go to cathedrals in this country. You can go to cathedrals uh, on the continent. I remember um, as a as a young teenager. Uh, my parents taking me to to Germany on holidays. You, you, you remember those things, holidays? Remember we used to pack a bag for a week and, and be able to travel? And we ended up in, in Cologne. And you, you go into this magnificent Gothic cathedral in Cologne. And at the altar, at the, at the high altar of, of Cologne Cathedral, you see this glorious gold, bejeweled box. And you're told that, that contained within this uh, gold box are the bones of the three kings that visited Christ in Bethlehem. Is, is, is that what, what's going on here? Some, some kind of relic? To take with them into the into the desert? No. No, of course not. It is simply again to show that Joseph had been made a promise to by God. And that Joseph himself was so utterly confident about the certainty of God's promise, something that he couldn't see from his vantage point in history, 
And something with regard to the people of Israel was going to get an awful lot worse before they got better. But it was a testimony. A testimony of history, of Joseph knowing that God would fulfill his promise. No matter how long it may be, take my bones. Take whatever's, whatever's left of me. It may just be dust. And bury me in the land that my God has promised. See the certainty of what Joseph is saying there. And what Moses is doing is saying, well, now is the time. Now God is going to fulfill his promise. The promise that was made generations ago. And now we're, we're going to see it. We're on the start of that. God is faithful to his promises. It's almost as if Moses is um, stating by, by taking these bones. Look, you know, God knows the way. And these bones, where uh, there are, are, are the, whatever is left of Joseph, that great hero of the Hebrews, those bones are going to be taken and will be buried because God has promised it. He promised it to Joseph and now we're beginning to fulfill that promise. I wonder, I wonder whether the, the words of, of, of Joseph um, were beginning to echo it certainly should echo for us. What did Joseph say? What man intended for evil, God intended for good. And that's what these, these bones proclaimed eloquently, powerfully to the Israelites in the desert. It was a powerful proclamation of the utter reliability of the promises of God. And he was. Joseph eventually was buried in Shechem with his ancestors in the family plot. It's an encouragement, isn't it, to us that we can rely and rely totally upon the promises of God. Even in those times when we don't understand what he's doing, even in those uh, times when, when with everything within us, we, we cry out, why has this happened? In God's wise dealings, he can grant us comfort and assurance and peace. Peace that we can never find anywhere else. This passage reminds us that the promises of God are faithful and gracious and good. And we don't always need to know the precise detail of what God is doing in our lives. Not for us to know, but it should be enough. It's a challenge to us. It should be enough that we know that God is doing these things and that his promises are true. So as we go into this, this year, as you continue to, to read the Bible for yourselves, as you, I trust, put yourself under the, the preaching of the word of God here, It's, it's, it's been a year since lockdown. We're going into another uncertain year. How many, how many promises of God have struck you in the past year? Either being proclaimed from this pulpit or, or 
listening to other sermons or reading yourselves? How many promises of God have struck you in the past year? Look out for them in the coming year. Be attentive. Listen. Because if you listen for those promises and cling to them, then you will find peace and rest there. You won't find it anywhere else. Don't look for it in friends. Don't look for it in the world. Don't look for it in politicians. But look for it. Be eager for it. To hear it from God himself. Because that's where you will find your peace and your rest. And finally, the presence of God directs us. The path of God preserves us. The promises of God assure us. And the presence of God directs us. We're all familiar with, with what's contained there in verses 21 and, and 22. The very presence of God himself. There's no maps. There's no uh, intuition. The, the, the people and Moses aren't saying, well, I, uh, we, okay, we may have to go this way. We may have to go in a different direction, but... You know, as long as we keep heading, God himself is leading his people. There's a pillar of a cloud leading them in the day and a pillar of fire in the night. God is leading his people. Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been magnificent to see? Are we thinking, oh, do you know, how, how, what, what a privilege. What a privilege for the people of, of Israel to see that, to, to, to see almost the very presence of God in front of them. Just got to follow. Follow that presence. It's understandable. It's understandable to think that. You know, the, the, just the pure majesty of the scene, the very presence of God, or the glory of God is leading them. But if we are tempted to think that, may I lovingly suggest that we are undervaluing our privileges as believers in Jesus. And in reality, what we have here as magnificent as it is, is a pale and dim shadow of our position this evening as believers in Christ. We now have the fullness of God. We have his spirit in us. We have his spirit presenced amongst us. We have peace with him. We have a, uh, an escape, not from slavery, but from sin itself. Because of what our Lord and Savior has done. If you are a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ, you are better off by far than the Hebrews following the cloud and the fire. You have more light than they do. You have Christ himself dwelling in you by his spirit who leads you, who guides you by his holy word, by the scriptures. They only had it partial and incomplete. We have it full and finished and sufficient. God dwells within our very hearts. 
I'm going to say it again. Listen now. God dwells in our very hearts by his spirit. Amazing. What what of, of infinite value is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He guides us. He directs our paths. He doesn't desert us. We are we are engrafted into that vine. Part of it. You know what a graft is, don't you? I'm no gardener, I just used to watch my father doing it. But you know, you, you, you take something from from outside, from from another rose or vine or whatever the case is, and, and you you graft it in, you bind it into the vine itself. To such an extent you can't you can't even tell. There's no join. You can't tell that it's from another body, another plant. We're engrafted by our Lord and Saviour into God. In every trial, in every loss, in every dark path, in every rocky road, the promises of God hold true. And in these circumstances, they can be summed up by by our God telling us he will never leave us nor forsake us. His spirit pointing to us, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. You, through Christ, are at one with God. Influenced by the spirit. Directed by the word of God. The privileges. Listen out for the promises in the coming year. Listen out for them. Because those privileges are vast and incalculable. Take them into your heart. Bathe in them. Because the floods will come. You will need that barrier of God's grace. You will need that robust barrier that enables you to understand the providences of his work in our lives. Bud may have a bitter taste. Sweet will be a flower. Path of God preserves us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He knows best. So trust him. Trust him. The promises of God assure us his word is true. His covenant is secure. Don't judge by circumstances, by by your best guesses. The greatest respect you'll fail. Instead, find your hope and your joy and your peace in the unshakable promises of God. And the presence of God directs us. His Holy Spirit, he himself lives within you, believer in Christ. And although that means we often still won't see the way, we still are in this world, in this sinful, fallen world. But we know We know, just as Moses was so confident to say, get those bones. Because Joseph wanted to be buried in Israel, and that's where we're going. 
just as Moses himself was confident, we can be even more confident. Because God will lead us home. God will bring us safely to that harbour. We can utterly, utterly depend upon that. Shall we pray? Sovereign Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we look for explanations and reasons and answers uh, to ourselves. Help us instead. When everything else is sinking sand, to stand on the solid ground, on the rock that is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we, in the coming year, as we face uncertainty, as we live in a time of uncertainty, may we remember that you always preserve us, that your promises assure us, that your presence directs us, and that all things will work together for good. And even though men may intend them for evil, you intend them for good. Continue with us then as we go into the week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.